That's why we're doing announcements. Uh, you can also check out uh, events that are happening at um, BereanCalvaryChapel.com events tab. A little calendar will come up, and uh, and I think we also get printed calendars out there on the <clears throat> welcome counter. So today, today we're doing pictures downstairs for a new church directory. So if you'd like a picture, you can go downstairs and Barb this this Sunday and next Sunday in between services during um, a coffee fellowship hour. It's so hard when you. I can't look up, and, and then if I, if I take my glasses off, I can't read. So I'm going to go like this. Um, so fellowship hour today and next week. If you want Barb to take pictures for the new church directory, that's going to be downstairs. Or you can send a picture to Stephanie Hicks's email, okay? And I can give you that, or if you have an old directory. I think your email's in the old directory. All right, so that's for today and next Sunday. Then this coming Saturday is uh, Calvary Chapel Ladies' Day at Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes in Rochester. I think it's, you still have time to register online if you'd like to take part of that. Uh, you can check it out online who the speakers are going to be. I'm excited about uh, fellowshipping with just a bunch of women and being blessed and instructed and challenged. So um, if you have any questions about that, you can talk to me or my daughter-in-law, Nikki, and uh, or you can just check it out online. So then next Sunday, next Sunday, um, this was kind of put together kind of quickly, but we're really excited about it. There's posters out there. We're going to have a women's Bible study, ladies' Bible study Sundays, starting next Sunday at 7 o'clock. It's a seven-week video series on Gideon that our weaknesses become God's strength. That's where God shows us his strength is where we're weak. We're always trying to be strong, and it's, you know, <laughs> kind of spinning our wheels. So uh, Phyllis Scherer, I'm not sure I'm saying her last name right, but there's a poster out there, and you can check her out on YouTube and like that. I've done a few of her um, studies on uh, the version uh, on my phone and have been so blessed that one. Nikki told me, oh, we're, we're thinking of doing this video series with Phyllis Scherer. I thought, yay, I love her. Um, so you can think about that. If you're interested in participating, you can see Nikki. Uh, there's an accompanying uh, workbook that's um, $12. If that is um, a difficulty for you, don't miss out because of $12. Uh, we, can, we can cover that cost for you. Um, so then... The following Sunday, November 11th, is Veterans Day, and we moved our normal third-week church supper. We moved it to the second week just so we can honor our, our veterans and all military people. If anybody's in the military now, presently, or ever has been, um, we want to show our appreciation and acknowledge uh, you know, what you've done for all of us to make our lives what they are. So... Um, Sunday, November 11th, is going to be a very special church supper. Uh, a lot of plans going into it, so we need pictures of our military people. If you can make sure we get pictures to Stephanie Hicks. Uh, she and Nikki are doing all kinds of cool things. Uh, it's going to be really neat, so I hope you'll clear that on your calendar. That's uh, the 11th, then Saturday, November 17th. Wow, I told you this is a busy month, right? Uh, we're going to have family bowling. Family bowling from noon to 2, 
at uh, Green Lakes Bowling Alley in Fayetteville. And pizza, all the pizza you can eat, all the soda you can drink, and your shoes and uh, games for 10 bucks a person. So um, there's a sign-up sheet in the front office because we do need to give the guy a head count. He's going to be making a lot of pizza. And then finally, November 18th is the deadline for Operation Christmas Child. And I think I brought up there's brochures out there by the welcome counter in the little boxes. You can read all about how to do this. Um, and it shares the love of Christ with kids in terrible places. Uh, so we want to participate in that. If you have any questions, you can ask Nikki about that. And finally, we have little popcorn packages, I think, on the welcome counter that have an invitation to the church. So you can take a few of those with you. And, you know, when the Lord gives you opportunity at Wegmans or wherever we're all about, you can just hand someone that. And it's really corny because you can say, pop in and see us. All right. So thanks for your attention. I want to encourage all you um, military personnel and veterans, when you come We'd really encourage you to um, um, maybe bring some of your family with you. And if you normally come to first service, try coming to the second service next, or is it two weeks from now? And, um, and maybe you have uh, others in your family that are either in the military or veterans. Bring them along as well because we'd like to honor their service. And, um, okay, we're going to be picking up in Exodus chapter 13. And verse 17, if you want to turn in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 13, picking up with verse 17. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, thanking you so much for the word that you've given us, that we can go through it, we can read it, we can study it. And it truly ministers to our heart and souls and also prepares us for work of ministry that we might be useful to you in a time that is becoming so dark. And we ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us this morning, that we'd feel and know your presence, and that you would speak through me to these, your precious people. And I give you thanks, Lord, for your anointing and for your word. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, whenever we study Scripture, we have to understand that the Word of God was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It never came of one man's interpretation, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's understood by the Holy Spirit. And it's given to us not only to strengthen us, but to prepare us for works of ministry. And so whenever we read or study the Word of God, whether it's here in church as we're going through the Bible, or whether it's at home in your personal study, as you read it, you want to be praying for the Holy Spirit to give you life application. It's not enough just to read the Bible and say, oh, that's a great book. How am I going to apply this? What's the life application that I can use uh, you know, in my life and, and as far as those that I come in contact with on a daily ba basis? And um, just as we're going to find that the Israelites were being prepared for war, God is always preparing his people to what? To fight the war for the souls of the lost in this immoral world. You know, Pastor Frank Jr. is going to be uh, sharing in the next service his trip to Guatemala and uh, the ministry that he had there. And, you know, when you go to a country like that, 
<clears throat> excuse me, sometimes it's so obvious to see the warfare that's taking place, to see what needs to be done. But we have to realize that even in our country, it's just as necessary and it's just as dark and it's just as needed for us to fight the good fight. And um, I want to share something with you as far as fighting the good fight and recognizing the times we're living in. I would encourage any of you uh, to, to pick this book up. It's by Erwin W. Lutzer, and he is pastor of um, Chicago um, Missionary and Alliance Church. That's the church that um, A.J. Tozer was pastor of. And this was written a little over 10 years ago. And the title of it is, When a Nation um, Forgets God. It's not talking just about our nation, any nation that forgets God. And in his, um, in his book, what he really uh, focuses on was uh, the rise of Nazism, you know, in Germany. And um, one of the things, um, there, there was Nimroller and Bernhoffer, two that we really know of. These were pastors that really stood up against Hitler. And Bernhoff gave his life, and uh, Muller uh, was in prison until the end of the war, in one of the death camps till the end of the war. Adolf Hitler said, he had a meeting with all the clergy, you know, before he really came into power. And one of the statements that he made was that the clergy were like pet dogs that he had on a leash. And so those that were not willing to stay in that leash, that were willing to take a stand against some of the things that Nazism stood for, they suffered for their faith. And um, so we have to realize that you and I are called to be willing to be willing to suffer for our faith. And um, what happened with uh, um, with uh, Niemöller is that um, when Hitler was meeting with um, all the pastors, he invited all the clergy as he was coming into power, and he said, "You take care of the church," and he said, "I'll take care of the people." And certain clergymen stood up and said, no, it's our responsibility to take care of the German people, to teach them about the Lord. And, for instance, uh, let me read to you what uh, Niemöller wrote, or what he said, and carefully choosing his words. He's talking to Adolf Hitler at this point. Carefully choosing his words, he said, you said that I'll take care of the German people, but we too as Christians and churchmen have responsibility towards the German people. The responsibility was entrusted to us by God. And neither you nor anyone in the world has the power to take it from me. And Hitler turned away without a word. The next day, this pastor's office was ransacked trying to find evidence against him. And a couple of weeks later, he was in jail. Because he dared to take that stand saying that the church had a responsibility for the people. But this was written anonymously, and it's, it's absolutely amazing. And if you listen to it, you're going to find it um, probably disturbing. And you'll see why. I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust, and I considered myself a Christian. And we heard uh, stories of what was happening to the Jews. And you think about, you know, there were in Pitt, Pittsburgh, was it, 11 uh, Jewish people in the synagogue while they were worshiping were, were killed. Six others were wounded, including four police officers. And you think anti-Semitism is dead. He, he was yelling, you know, hatred towards the Jews as he committed this heinous act. Anti-Semitism isn't dead. 
I mean, just look at how most of the world views Israel at this time, and yet we know that Israel is such a prominent point in prophecy. Anyway, um, I consider myself a Christian. We heard more of what uh, we heard um, stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran uh, behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we could hear the sounds of the whistle in the, dis- in the distance. I'm having a hard time reading the scene. Then the wheels coming over the track, and we became um, disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. Uh, we realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow, and we dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of Jews en route to death camps. Their screams tormented us. And we knew the time the train, the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came uh, past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly. And soon, we heard them no more. Years have passed, and no one talks about it anymore, but I still hear the train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive us all who call ourselves Christians yet did nothing to intervene. I mean, that's so sobering. And the thing that's sobering is the fact that the reason that it was so easy to put the Jews to death is Adolf Hitler and his Nazi regime determined that Jews were non-people. That was the term they used. They were non-people. Therefore... To kill a Jew wasn't a crime because they were non-people. They were like an animal. They literally considered them non-people. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, we, we know the 6 million Jews that were killed in the Holocaust, but 11 million people were put to death in the Holocaust. 6 million Jews and 5 million gypsies and Christians were also put to death in these death camps. And... Um, The thing we have to realize is that a wind is blowing across our nation and across the world right now, separating the wheat from the chaff. And turn with me to Luke chapter 3, verse 17. And of course, this is becoming more and more prominent because we're living in the last days. Jesus could come back for his church any day. But in Luke chapter 3, go to verse 17. This is the wind I'm speaking of here. Luke 3.17. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. Those are going to be raptured. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. There's judgment coming upon this world, and then there's a final judgment coming at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. And so we have to understand that there is a fan blowing. Are we wheat or are we chaff? We have to make a decision. It's ours to make. And we think of Hitler and the Nazi government, and we determine, well, how awful it was that they passed a law that 
Jews were non-people. They were non-people. Well, think about this. In the United States of America, 60 million and 840,000 people have been put to death since Roe versus Wade was passed. In the world, 1 billion 512,998,450 people have been put to death in the United States and in the world because they have been classified as non-people, as non-persons. And that's those persons in the womb. They're considered not human, not living. Anyone who's ever taken any kind of biology class, you, you've been taught that life begins at conception. And when you consider this number of people, it's a holocaust. It's a holocaust. And you and I, as believers, have been called by Almighty God, empowered by His Holy Spirit, to do something. Now, I'm not talking about being you know, violently radical, because violence has no place. Jesus fought for us by dying on the cross. By dying to self. And so our fight isn't going out and beating people up and, you know, and doing all kinds of crazy things like that. Our fight is to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his word. But we're so ashamed. The schools, I mean, when you think about it, how insane is it? When you think of the Scopes trials, and it was just, you know, they were trying to allow evolution to be taught as an alternative theory in the schools. And look at how times have changed. You can't teach anything about God. You can't teach anything about Christ. You can't teach anything that is contrary to the evolutionary theory in school. And the problem with the evolutionary theory, number one, by it's, it's scientifically inaccurate. But the problem is it, with it is this. If we just evolved out of some cosmo, you know, some lake and, and you know, and, and, and it just, it's just crazy. Then we're just a matter of ra- random chance. And so our lives mean nothing and we're accountable to no one. We're accountable to no one. But the fact is we were created by God Almighty, exactly as the book of Genesis tells us. And for that reason, we are responsible to him. And we're, we're responsible to him to be his witnesses. Jesus said, that's what I've called you to do, to be my witness, to testify of me throughout the world and in our local communities. That was Jesus' command. And testifying of Jesus Christ, and, I, and I'm so thankful for those in our fellowship that have the courage every Friday night to go in downtown Syracuse and stand in the square and preach the gospel of Jesus. <clears throat> that's awesome. But every one of us need courage to take a stand for Jesus. I mean, how many times have we held back from saying something at work, at school, wherever it might be, because it is politically incorrect? Well, we shouldn't be worried about what's politically correct. We should be worried about what's biblically right. And to take a stand for Jesus Christ, it's up to us. No one else is going to do it. It's our responsibility. It's our job. And just think of how much we hold back. 
You know, I'm not talking about being obnoxious. And you guys know how I feel about that. I mean, I don't have stickers on the back of my car that say turn or burn, you know, and this kind of thing. And, and, but the reality is we need to take a stand for the Lord. Well, as we have opportunity, as different things come up, say, no, this is wrong. No, I don't agree with it. Why not? Because the word of God. Since when has the word of God become politically incorrect to refer to? Well, it has. In our nation and in our world, if you take the word of God as the reason for a stand you're taking, you're like, whoa. And yet you can take all of these very liberal agendas and attitudes towards morality and towards life, and that you can stand on. You think about when this latest Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh um, went through what he went through to be confirmed, But the big thing that many of the liberals were bringing up is that the Supreme Court now is capable of overturning Roe versus Wade as if that's a battle call. Roe versus Wade might be overturned. Well, what is Roe versus Wade? Babies can be killed. I hope they do overturn it. Well, it's not politically correct. I don't care. It's biblically correct. You follow what I'm saying? And it's such a hard thing for us at times to take that kind of stand. But we need to, brothers and sisters. And you wonder where this is coming from. Well, as we look at this portion of Exodus, I think you'll uh, have some idea of why uh, the Lord uh, put this on my heart to share. And like I said, I encourage you to get this book. When a nation forgets God, it is it's awesome. Exodus chapter 13, picking up with verse 17. <clears throat> Exodus 13, verse 17. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the Lord knew they weren't ready. And the point that I'm trying to make here is we have to be ready. You can't go out there. The Bible says we're supposed to be brought on to maturity. And the reason we're supposed to be brought on to maturity is that we can fight the good fight. And the Lord knew at this point they weren't ready. They would be, you know, later on, but they weren't ready at this time. And there are times the Lord leads us around certain difficulties because he knows we're not ready. But know this, you will be prepared. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks. That's a military term. Out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped, in Ethan, at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. All the while they were journeying, all the while they were following the Lord, he gave them 
a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And we're going to look in a, in a moment of what that really means. <clears throat> and the th- same thing is true, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. The Lord does not lead us into war until we're ready, lest we turn back. You know, it's so easy to be aggressive and assured in our faith, and then difficulty comes our way and we back right off. Well, who are we? We are children of God. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the dunamis, the power of God, to do what he's called us to do. And why do we back off? Oh, I'm standing for Jesus. Then you go outside the church walls and some difficulty comes your way. And and, and not necessarily that you deny Christ, but you don't say anything. And I think all of us fall to that from time to time. And this is why uh, there are so many verses in Scripture that encourage us to become mature in the Lord. Because you can't really do the work of ministry until you become mature in the Lord. You know, over the years, I've seen young pastors buckle under the threat of aggressive churchmen. And we have a required age for military service, and there's a reason for it. And the same thing is true before a man would go into the ministry or before any of us go out and do battle as, uh, you know, warriors for Christ. We have to come on to maturity. In 1 Timothy... Chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Not a novice, and, and if you go back, it's talking about a bishop, a ruling elder, a pastor. It says, Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. So there's a maturity that we should come to in order to do the work of ministry, whether it's a pastor or any work of ministry God has called us to. Now understand this. Maturity in the Lord has nothing to do with our age. I've seen 70-year-old babies, and I've seen 20-year-old men and women. You follow what I'm saying? It's our maturity in the Lord. You know, we might, at our conversion, have all the weapons of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? Those weapons mean nothing until you learn how to use them. I remember when I was in basic training a million years ago, <laughs> a long time ago, and uh, I don't know Larry, uh, where's Larry? He was in the you know, same time period, I think a little bit after me. Did you guys have M16s yet or M14s? You know, we, when I went in, we had the M14s. Actually, a wooden you know, walnut kind of stock, and they were much more accurate than an M16, but they uh, jammed easily and, and clogged up easily. But anyway, when I went in and they hand you an M14, it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? What, what do I do? You had to be trained how to use it. And how did you train how to use it? You took it apart. You put it together. You cleaned it. You know, did, did all that kind of stuff to learn all about it. And then you went out in the range and you actually practiced and you learned how to use it. And the same thing is true for you and I as soldiers of the cross. God has given us weapons of the Holy Spirit, but allow his Holy Spirit to teach us how to use those weapons. Because if we use those weapons in wrong ways, then it's, it's useless. In fact, it can do more harm than good. You know, um, so often I think we confuse the moving of the Holy Spirit with emotion. 
well, the Holy Spirit was moving in our church, and people were running across the top of the pews, and they were doing backflips, and they were, you know, jumping over the pastor, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, you want to know something? The Holy Spirit does everything decently in or, and in order. Now, understand this. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune nature of God, is God. And he is real. And he fills the heart of the believer. And he equips us for works of ministry. And he is the strength of God in order to go out as his soldiers and win people to Christ. And to share proper morality with this world. But it's not just some emotional. He's not meant to be used. He, he, the Holy Spirit, never would come just to be used as some kind of, a, of a just enjoyment for our, our own pleasure. The purpose of the Holy Spirit has reason. God the Father sent the Son into this world to be the propitiatory, vicarious sacrifice for our sin. And Jesus Christ promised that he would send another comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he did. And we have the whole account of the day of Pentecost in Scripture where they were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came as a mighty wind, rushing mighty wind and clothes of uh, fire were above their heads. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, that we might do the work of ministry. And I think it's so important for us to realize that the Holy Spirit is always leading us in a direction to serve God in the form of evangelism. How, how are we, we serving God? You know what I'm saying? Everything we do in our church should be for the purpose of serving God, not serving ourselves. And sometimes it takes effort. Like I said, we have a group that goes downtown every Friday night and shares the gospel in the street corners. And yesterday, for instance, we had, um, you know, uh, Pastor Frank Jr., he is the chaplain at Remsen uh, Camp in Remsen, New York, where they have the motocross camp. And kids come, they learn how to ride motocross. And they always have 40-some kids get saved. And uh, almost every year they have, I mean, what's it all about? Right? And Pastor Frank will tell you, it's not about riding the motorcycles. It's about kids getting saved. The motorcycles are just a tool to bring these unsaved kids in. And then they come to Christ. And so we have to realize that the purpose of our church is to bring people to Christ. Yesterday they had, this is the second year they've done it, they had what they call a uh, ride day. And it's kind of a reunion from the Remsen camp. So all these kids who got saved and their parents, they come here to our little church. And um, Nikki and Stephanie Hicks and a few others uh, worked diligently. They, they made all kinds of taco stuff for everybody to eat. I mean, we had a mob here. And... Uh, and the kids, which I thought was absolutely insane yesterday, and they were out riding their dirt bikes in the track. There's a, a friend of Frank's who came when we had the, the two days of no rain and emptied the track. He had one of those machines and emptied the track of the water and so forth. And the kids are out there riding and having a blast and coming in and having their tacos. And you have to understand that a number of those children, those young men and women, and women too, young women were here riding too, that were here, aren't saved. I mean, isn't that our purpose? What is the purpose of our ministry? Just to come to church? You know, just to feel good about ourselves? The purpose of our ministry is salvation. 
like my darling wife was sharing about this women's Bible study that's going to be starting next week. And you think, well, what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is this. The responsibility of the church is to equip the saints for works of ministry until we all come to the unity of the faith. So my responsibility, this church's responsibility, is to equip you. It's kind of, we're, you know what we are? We're the training camp. Like if you're going to go to war, you better go to basic training, and you better go to AIT, advanced individual training or advanced infantry training. You better do something to be prepared. Because if you're not prepared, you're going to go out in that battlefield and you're going to be done. <clears throat> and so this Bible study, everything that we do, like the Bible studies, the Wednesday night, you know, going through Hebrews, our, our Sunday services, it's not just for us to get together and say, we don't we feel good about ourselves. Hopefully, it's equipping you. And that's the reason in our, in our church we go right through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we cover every verse. Because the only time I know what I'm sharing is the truth is when I'm reading the Word of God, because His Word is true. And so we have to stand on that. And uh, <clears throat> so often, like I said, we're led by our emotions. Well, I really feel I should do this. Well, I feel I should do a lot of things that I found out were wrong. I don't know how many times I felt like I should go in this direction, was disappointed when the Lord was taking me in this direction, only to find out, of course, he was right and I was wrong, and his way was better than my way. I mean, I know you've never experienced that. But you guys all know what I'm talking about. You know, I, I should do this, I should do that, I want to do this and get all emotionally charged up. And that's not the way it works. You know, we have to wait for the Holy Spirit to fill us, to empower us, to encourage us, to direct us, and to lead us into his way. I mean, when you think of um, the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the triune nature of the Godhead, came to earth, for our salvation, he who was without sin became the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice to take away the sin of the world, that anyone who calls upon his name shall be saved. Why are we saved? Because his blood cleanses us from all sin. And now, by confessing our life to Jesus Christ and living for him and being filled, born again of the Spirit, we're able to follow him the way we should. That's what it's all about. Our life has no greater meaning than serving the Lord. <clears throat> I don't care if you're the, you know, the greatest scientist in the world. In fact, I was reading, I don't know where I was reading it. I read all kinds of things. And um, what was his name? Um, the geneticist uh, who uh, mapped the human genome, um, Fisk or Fick or something. I can't remember his name. But anyway, as he was mapping the human genome, as an evolutionist, he realized his theory could not hold water. He realized it, it just didn't work. Um, he didn't, as far as I know, he didn't become a Christian, but he said evolution isn't the answer. There had to be some kind of special creation because there's no way. When, when you look at DNA and you realize it is a genetic code, it's an alphabet, it's information that determines who we are, well, how does information come from non-information? You know, it's just like I shared with you before. Nothing plus nothing always equals nothing. So there had to be something in order to be something. 
And there was the living God. He always was and he always shall be, the eternal God. And um, so we have to realize that God is willing to give us all the weapons of warfare if we only allow him to. And then after he gives us the weapons, we have to be willing to allow him to train us to use those weapons. And that's why as believers, man, we should be reading the word. We should be in church. We should be in Bible study. We should be in fellowship with other believers. We should be on our knees in prayer. Probably the most lacking thing in the Christian community is prayer. We should be on our knees in prayer, taking everything before the Lord because he hears. And if we know he hears, we know we have what? What we ask for. If we ask it in his name. Now Moses, it tells us, also took the bones of Joseph with him. Why? Because Joseph made the sons of Israel swear on oath. And there's more to this. You read that and say, oh, that's kind of cool. But there's, there's, it, there's much more to it than, than just they took his bones. In Genesis chapter 50, if you want to turn back to Genesis chapter 50, and verse 24, and I'm going to read verses 24 through 25. In Genesis chapter 50, go to verse 24. Please. Genesis 50, 24. Then Joseph said to his brothers... I'm about to die. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't worried. He knew it wasn't the end. He said, I am about to die. But God will surely come to you. He's talking or to, uh, to your aid. He's talking to the Jewish people, the Israelites. And take you up out of this land to the land of promise. The land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear on an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. It took Joseph 430 years, but he finally made it home. Now, in order to give you some perspective of what 430 years is, our nation isn't even 300 years old. It's a long time. There were 30 years under Joseph's reign where the Israelites had freedom, but then there were 400 years as slaves. And Joseph made them promise, bring my bones out. Why? Because Joseph believed in the resurrection, and he wanted to be resurrected with his fathers in the land of promise. He believed in life after death. Otherwise, what would even the purpose of that be? And so we have to realize that all through the Scripture... It reminds us that, you know, there is something after this life. Our body is, we know our body is not who we are. We have a soul and spirit. And there's so many ways that we can know this. You know, I'm not going to get into all of them right now, but we know that we're body, soul, and spirit. And when this body dies, your soul and spirit is immaterial. It cannot die. And so the determination of where your soul and spirit will be is determined by the choices you make in this life. I've set before you two choices, life and death. And what did God say? Choose life. In First John it says, He who has the Son, Jesus Christ, has life. He who does not have the Son, those who have rejected him, do not have life. I mean, it's as simple as that. And so we have to have the same faith as Joseph. You know, you think of, I don't know how many years ago, it's a few years ago now, but the Palestinians went in and they desecrated 
the grave of Joseph. I mean, here's Joseph who was 400 years, you know, buried in Egypt. His bones were carried back to the promised land. He was put in a, in a tomb and, you know, according to his promise, and his bones, his, his grave was desecrated. Why? Because you have a people that don't believe in Almighty God. They don't believe in the resurrection. And so they did it out of hatred and ignorance. But you and I have no excuse. We believe in God. We believe in the resurrection. We know that one day he's coming from his, for his church in what they call the raptos, which is the snatching up, the taking away of believers. And I think that's going to be sooner than we think. We don't realize how, how many prophecies are being fulfilled because if you turn on any news channel, any news channel, it's politics, politics, politics. There's stuff going on in the Middle East that is mind-blowing. I mean, mind-blowing. The whole thing is set up for Ezekiel 38, for these armies that come in from the north. And why are they coming in? For the oil and for the natural gas, for the booty. It's called, you know, the uh, spoils of war. It's all set up. You know, we're... we're you know, we, we, like, we don't even realize it. But the fact is when we understand how close his coming is and the responsibility that we have as believers and we wake up, we're going to be saying, I'm doing the work of ministry. I'm going to take a stand for Jesus Christ. I'm not going to just be quiet and play the whole politically correct game. What does the word of God say? Abortion isn't a woman's choice. Her choice should have been not to have sex. The fact is that her misgiving, her downfall, should not condemn the life of the child within her. Now that woman can be forgiven 100%. Anyone who confesses their sin and he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. But it doesn't take away from the responsibility that she has for the child that is within her womb. We have to understand we have responsibility. We can't just go by the politically, you know, politically correctness. You have to realize, according to the word of God, homosexuality is a sin. It doesn't make that person more vile and ugly than any other sinner. We're a, a drunkard, a liar, a fornicator, all the same. But it is sin. Marriage, according to the word of Almighty God, is between one man and one woman. And it's an eternal bond until death us do part. And if you're both believers, even at death, you're not separated. How awesome is that? So we have to not be so entrapped by the political correctness of our, our lives, our work, our world. We need to start standing for God. Because, brothers and sisters, he's coming back. And I don't want to be having my head down ashamed because I didn't do all I could do for the Lord. I want to hear his voice say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to be one of those who escape, but as through the fire and the smell of smoke still you know, remained on their clothing. I don't want to be one of those. I want to have the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
come into your master's rest. That's what I desire more than anything else. And then the last verse, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. Can you imagine what this must have looked like? I shared with you last week, taking numbers right from Scripture, this group was at least 2 million people. You know, we think of like maybe 100 people coming out of Egypt. It was about 2 million people. To give you an idea of what that is, that's 30 miles square. You know, having your space to walk. It's 30 miles square. So this pillar of fire couldn't have been just a little whirlwind standing in front of them. I think it was probably huge and it was up in the air as well. That The whole group could see them, see the pillar and follow it. And also I think it's important to know that through Scripture you had them complaining about being in the wilderness. You had them complaining about, um, you know, not having meat, and then having too much meat. They complain about all those things, but you never hear them complaining about the heat or the cold. And I think the reason was this, that the pillar of cloud by day gave them shade so that they weren't too hot, and the pillar of fire by night gave them light so that they could set up camp and give them warmth. And the thing we have to understand is that the Lord still leads us this way. He still leads us. He's a pillar of cloud by day that we can have comfort and shade and follow him. But he also is a light, a fire, a lamp unto our feet to lead our way. And so he still provides for his children such a clear route to follow him. And so my prayer for each one of us is that we don't fall into the delusion and complacency of the people that lived in Germany where we're thinking, oh, the state will take care of the people. We just take care of the church. The church's responsibility is to spread the good news to the world around us, to our nation, that the Holy Spirit and the Lord God Almighty might be the one who would give them direction, might give them values and rules. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your word and the truth that we find in it. And Lord, I pray that the sobering words that you've given me to share this morning would not just be shaken off the moment you know, our service is over, but it would be embedded into our hearts and we would realize that we have a responsibility as believers to share our faith everywhere we go because only through you can anyone be saved and have eternal life. Nighttime is coming, Lord, when no man's going to be able to speak or to teach. But while it's daylight, give us a voice, give us a mouth. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends.